This is a discussion about a five-minute lesson on life insurance. You know, when it comes time to have the conversation with your client on life insurance and talking about how life insurance affects their portfolio and all the things that they have going on in their financial life, there are actually two discussions that I have with my clients every time this topic comes up. The first one is our needs versus wants conversation. It's imperative, I believe, that you have your client understand the difference between needs and wants. Their wants represent more of their desires, what they really want to happen. And um, if you'll review the Cowtails volume that has the needs versus wants conversation on it, you can listen to that over and over and master that particular piece. But I think what you're going to find is people will um, buy much, much more insurance based on a want, their desire, as opposed to a needs analysis. So um, it's imperative that we have that conversation initially and get that done first. And it all stems back to the kind of client that you're wanting to see. Remember, we're wanting people who are referred to us, who meet three criteria. One, they're friendly. Two, they're responsible. And in my definition, that means they're married. They're happily married and they have children. And three, they have, uh, they're serious about their money. So it all kind of ties together. So when you find people that you're talking to that meet those three criteria, well, obviously, when it comes down to the needs versus wants discussion, um, they're going to want the best for their family and the best for their loved ones. And um, as we've said earlier, uh, life insurance is really a love product. So we want to talk about wants as opposed to needs. But then we've got to get into a little discussion with them so they can understand really what's happening with life insurance as a product. Most people have been sold a policy. They've bought insurance for various reasons because they needed insurance. Um, The whole conversation is centered around, well, if I need insurance, then, and I don't want any, well, I certainly don't want to pay much for it. Um, So what's happened is all the conversations that they've heard from agents around the country and people that have called on them has been more of, well, we can get you a cheaper price. We can sell you the same amount of coverage for a lower premium like that means something. So to offset those conversations and to help a client get their arms around uh, how wonderful permanent life insurance as a parking place or a vehicle for your money really is, um, I have this story with them, and it's called The Five-Minute Lesson on Life Insurance. So... I'm going to walk you through that story right now, and uh, unfortunately, this story is verbal, uh, I'm going to do on here, but it's visual as well, so um, I'm going to try to communicate over this uh, 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 CD uh, and tell you how the picture looks, and you'll have to draw that. Uh, Hopefully, at some point, you'll be able to to, uh, see me actually do this presentation live, and you'll you'll get a better picture, but... um, If you would, draw two parallel lines on a piece of paper about four or five inches apart. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. So I'm I'm sitting here, and I'd say, well, Mr. Client, let's let's talk about life insurance. 
And I want to give you my five-minute lesson. And as you know, um, I look at life insurance maybe a little different than most people. Uh, we've already had our needs versus wants discussion. You understand my differences there and why I'm, uh, I have a unique viewpoint and what that viewpoint is. So out here to the left, I've written down a million dollars. So let's assume that our purchaser is 40 years old, a million dollars. So I write that left of those two parallel lines. So here we have um, two lines. The bottom line, Mr. Client, represents the minimum that you can pay. So I'm going to write on the uh, bottom line, on the left of that line, I'm going to write the word, uh, the initials minimum. So on this bottom line, it represents the minimum amount that you can pay for a million dollars of life insurance for a person at your age. At the top line represents the maximum amount that you can pay for life insurance for a million dollars on a person your age. Now, those are all at the left of those uh, lines. Let's talk about the minimum for a minute. Who decides what the minimum premium you can pay for a million dollars of life insurance on a male 40 years old? Who decides that? Well, out to the right of that line, I like to write the company. The company has actuaries who basically calculate the math, figure out the numbers, and what are they calculating? Well, they're calculating the least amount that they can charge for a million dollars of insurance on a male age 40 and what? And make money. So in their calculations for the cost of this particular product, they already have designed in there their profits. Do they believe in opportunity costs? Well, certainly they do. So the opportunity costs, the time value of that money, the profits that they want to make is already built in there. So on the bottom line, we have minimum on the left, company on the right of that line. Well, let's go up to the top. Now, there's also the maximum amount you can pay for a life insurance contract for a million dollars on a male age 40. And who decides what that is? Besides you, of course. Well, the answer comes up, and sometimes you have to help them, and that's the government or the IRS. So I like to write that to the right of that line at the top. Super. Now, let's just sit back for a minute and let's think about that. The fact that the federal government cares how much money you put in a life insurance policy, what should that tell you? There's got to be something going on there, right? I mean, does the federal government care how much, and down here at the minimum, that's usually called term insurance, so we'll write that in there on the bottom, term. Does the federal government, are they concerned at how much term insurance you own? Well, absolutely not, because term insurance meets a moral obligation for the federal government, that people that have coverage, obviously, that's going to help them financially to take some of the burden off of the federal government. But now, and I'm, I'm going to start my pen at the bottom line, right in the center, and I'm going to start going up that line between the two lines to the top, and I'm going to get all the way to the line, and then I'm going to say, well, let's stop. 
All right, so I've got a line between the two parallel lines, and I put a little point at the top there, right to the line, to the maximum. Well, what happened was that line used to not be there. And you're right. The fact that the federal government has anything to do here, that they're concerned about it, something has to be on their mind, and it's taxes or the avoidance or the elimination of taxes. So in 19, around 1986, the federal government drew a line in the sand with two laws, TAMRA and DEFRA. And those two laws, you don't really need to know a lot about that, but what you need to know is those two lines, uh, I mean those two laws created this line in the sand. And what the federal government said was, look, if we don't draw this line in the sand, nobody's going to want to do what we want them to do, which is what? Where does the federal government encourage you to put your money? Well, on the top side of that top line, let's write those words in there. Let's write qualified plans, IRAs, SEP, 401K. So the federal government is encouraging America to put their money where? Into these qualified plans. Well, the reason the line came up was they understood that if if we don't draw this line in the sand, nobody's going to want to do these things because right now they could buy insurance before 86. They could buy insurance contracts, put their money in those policies, have the money grow tax-deferred, have liquidity use and control of all the money. They could get to it immediately without all the government restrictions. So the feds drew the line in the sand and said, nope, look, this stuff is too good. If you, We can't let them keep doing that because if we keep letting them put their money in there, what's going to happen is they're not going to want to do the qualified plans. Now let's talk about qualified plans for a second. There is a... Uh, there are, there are calculators in the toolbox which will help you have these conversations with a client. But let's talk about what qualified plans do. Qualified plans do two things. They defer the tax and the tax calculation. Well, I like to give this illustration. Let's assume now today, Mr. Client, that you wanted to uh, – you called me and you said, hey, Don, I want to borrow $10,000. So I would immediately say, well, sure. So I write you out a check and I hand it to you. What's the first question you're going to ask me? Well, the first thing you're going to ask me is, okay, well, how much interest are you going to make me pay? And I'm going to say to you, well, I tell you what, you know, I'm, I'm in good shape right now. I don't really need any money. Um, you know, I, but I do understand this. At some time in my life, there's going to come a point when I'm going to need some money. And when I know what that amount is, then I could go back and figure out what rate of interest I'd have to charge you to get that amount, and then then I'll know what to charge you. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'll just figure it up at the end when I know how much I need. 
what would you do? Well, the first thing you'd do is hand that check back to me as fast as you could. No, hey, that's all right. I don't need the money. Well, and in essence, that's really what the federal government's doing here with these qualified plan situations. Yes, we do get a tax deduction. We don't save taxes. We just defer them. To what tax bracket? Well, it could possibly be a higher tax bracket when we actually take the money. So let's let's keep going here. So the feds wanted us to do the qualified plans, defer the taxes, defer the interest, have the have the opportunity of those dollars, but they didn't like how permanent life insurance was working. They thought that was too good. So they drew this line in the sand. Now, what they did was, and you can draw that line again, and they say if you go over that line, if you put more than what this equilibrium is, and what they came up with was there has to be equilibrium between the death benefit and the cash that you could put in this contract. So, and I'm just going to pick a couple numbers out of my hat, but uh, let's just say for a million dollars, this guy could get term insurance for $2,000 a year, okay? $2,000 a year, and I'm writing that down there at the bottom by minimum, and that's term insurance. And let's go up here to the top, and let's say for a million dollars of the good stuff or the maximum – Let's say he could put $40,000 in that contract, okay? So what the Fed said was, okay, here's this equilibrium, and it, and it floats with that death benefit versus how old the person is and so on. And uh, at that equilibrium, the Fed said, well, listen, if you go over that amount, in this case, in our example, it's $40,000. If you go over that amount, then we're going to treat your policy like we do all these things up here over the top, qualified plans, IRAs, and SEPs. And they called that a MEC. And I'm writing the initials MEC, M-E-C, on the top side of that line. And Mr. Klein, all that simply means is the federal government, it's called a modified endowment contract now. They would make your policy uh, turn into what they call a modified endowment contract, which simply means that now they're going to treat your policy like they do a qualified pension plan, which means there's now the 10% penalty on early withdrawals. You can't touch it till you're 59 and a half without that penalty. You have to take it by 70 and a half or there's a 50% penalty. You've lost liquidity, use, and control of the money and all the other rules that go along with qualified plans. Now, okay, well, let's step outside the box for just a second, and let's, let's forget about insurance, and I want to talk to you, and, I, and Mr. Client, what I'd like for you to suggest to me is if you could have anything you want from a parking place, and by that I mean, you know, obviously we've got to put our money somewhere. Now, you've already, you're already maxing out your qualified pension plan, and you'd put more money there if you could, True. And they usually say, well, certainly. Well, so you're doing all you can up there above the line in the qualified plans, but they're limited. But so now we've got to find a place for more money. Where are we going to put our money? Well, that being the case, let's just, I want you to have a conversation with me and tell me 
Uh, if you could have anything you want, anything at all, what would that be? And what I'm getting ready to do is I'm going to write down all these benefits between the top line and the bottom line on the right. So the first thing, tell me something that you'd want. If you could have anything. Now, now follow me. For a, uh, you're going to park, let's say, $40,000 a year. You're going to save $40,000 a year. If you could have anything you want, what would it be? Well, the first thing, okay, well, that makes sense, is you'd want tax-deferred growth on the money, all right? So just write in tax-deferred growth. Super, all right? What else would you want? Oh, well, you'd like it out tax-free, huh? Okay, well, we'll write that down there. What else would you like? Well, I would like uh, liquidity, use, and control. And I just put in the the luck factor, as it's known, um, liquidity, use, and control of the money. All right? Okay, is there anything else you'd like? Well, certainly... I would like a competitive internal rate of return. I'd like to be able to put that money in different areas and get a competitive return on it. Is there anything else? Well, okay. Um, how about unlimited, unlimited investment options? Okay, so I'm going to write that in there. Okay. What else would you want? Well, okay, collateral. You'd like to be able to use that as collateral. Okay, I can understand that. Is there anything else? Well, if I could get it, I would like to have that money protected from creditors. I'd like suit protection on that money. All right. I'd like um, uh, act, I'd like to get some um, – I'd like to make sure I have access to the money. All right, and I'd also like to have, I'd like to get that money out of state tax-free if that'd be good, so I'm going to write that one in there, state tax-free. Um, uh, let's see, is there anything else I'd like? Well, oh, yeah, okay, I'd like disability waiver on this money. In the event of my disability, I would like for the wherever I was putting this money for it to continue for not only them to waive the payment, but them to continue making my contribution. Okay? Um, all right, anything else? Well, whew, boy, if you could do all that, that'd be wonderful. So now, that's all you could think of. Well, sometimes you're going to have to help the client because they're not going to be able to think of all these things, and you're just going to write them down as you go. All right? Well, Let's take a look at this now. These are all the things you could have if you wanted them, all right? And they may throw out one more to you, which is tax deductible, okay? And if they bring up tax deductible, which is rare that they bring that up, but if they bring that up, the, uh, you're going to have to have the conversation with them about tax deductible. Tax deductions are good, okay, but it doesn't save you any money. If you're deducting it today to pay it in a higher tax bracket later, well, that's not really a good situation, plus when you lose all these other benefits. So let's just go down this list now. Now, you understand for, for a life insurance company, which is just a bank, 
to talk you into putting $40,000 of your money in a policy that only gives you a million dollars of coverage that you could have bought for 2000 they're going to have to come up with a lot of benefits. And my friend, these benefits are all listed over here on the right. We just listed them. All of those things that you're looking for are in a life insurance contract at this MEC limit. At the MEC limit, you get the best of all of these benefits. Okay? Now, let's take a look at this issue. So, at the top of that line, at the MEC limit, the policies are performing the best they could possibly be. And I'm going to draw a little line from the top going down with a little arrow on it. And you understand that anything less than that, then your focus for buying this insurance is not on the cash accumulation or the vehicle or the benefits. The focus is more on what? The death protection. Now, we had our little needs versus wants discussion a little while ago, and you have a million dollars of term insurance. You thought that's what you needed. I ask you, what do you want? And to accomplish what you want, it was going to take $4 million of insurance. So needless to say, we were a little short there. So the focus was more on what? Death benefit, not not the growth of the money. So as I sit down and have this conversation with a client, I circle all these benefits over here on the right and say, now here's what we want. We've got a little problem. Yes, on the top of, above the MEC limit are all the qualified plans. You'd like to do more of that if you could, but you can't. So we've got to find another place to park your money. But we want benefits. Well, let's compare the benefits that we just listed with the qualified plans. Tax-deferred growth. Yes, we get to check that one. Qualified plans do that for us. How about the money comes out tax-free? No. Liquidity use and control over your lifetime? No. Competitive internal rate of return? Yes. It's an opportunity for you to invest that. How about unlimited investment options? No, we don't have unlimited. We There's a, there's a limit to where we could put the money. But in a permanent insurance contract, there's, it's unlimited because you have access to the capital. You can take loans on the contract and move that money out of there and put it anywhere you possibly desire. How about collateral? Can you use qualified money as collateral? No. Is it protected from creditors? Perhaps, depending on the state that you live in. Is the money accessible? No, not to age 59 and a half without the penalty. Does it come out ta estate tax-free? No, it does not. Does it have a disability waiver on it? So in the event of your disability, those dollars keep flowing into your qualified pension plan. No, they do not. And how about um, the last one? Well, yes, it is tax deductible. Okay, now, so out of that whole list, there were three things that we, we received. And you understand that tax deductible is good. Tax deferred is good. But to what tax bracket? So we have to have that conversation. Now, if in working together, if we could give you the same tax-deferred growth on your money with the same competitive internal rate of return plus all these benefits, would you want them? Well, certainly. 
So, what I'm telling you is this. The best insurance contract for you to own is the most expensive contract that the company sells. Why? Because at that limit, you are maximizing the use and the benefits that are afforded under that contract for growth of the contract and benefits. So we already know at the bottom on the term insurance, we understand that, hey, the price is already built in there. As you go up from the bottom to the top, what happens is you begin to participate more and more with the growth of the company, where those dollars are invested, and depending on what product you use, you may have access to uh, unlimited uh, investment options. Um, so we're really not talking about um, any particular product in mind, but more permanent coverage at the MEC limit. And I mean by that whether that's whole life, UL, or VUL, they all perform at their best at the MEC limit because they are maximizing the cash flow. So we have this conversation, and we ask them, we say, well, okay, well, I'm looking at the contract that you have in force right now, and let's assume that they're somewhere we're real close to the bottom. Um, now, here's where your policy is right now. You're not paying much for it. You have a lot of benefit, but the policy is not going to grow very much until you get to that top line. Now, watch this. And um, if we're using a whole life contract, what the government says is at this MEC limit, the as you make a contribution, the face amount of the contract has to keep growing. And with universal life type contracts, you get option A or B, you can decide. If you're deciding to do a level benefit, then what's going to happen? Well, the federal government is going to limit how much you can put in there. If you have an increasing benefit, then you have a bucket big enough to just keep filling up because the face amount of the contract is going to keep growing a lot right along with the contributions. So there's one other thing I want you to look at. The policy that you have in force right now, let's get that proposal out and let's take a look at it. And what I want you to do is I want you to start at the top uh, and I want to look at the death benefit. And yes, you have an increasing death benefit policy, but I want you to go down and tell me what year in which the face actually grows, a dollar. So if it started at a million, you tell me when it goes to a million and fifty thousand or a million five hundred thousand, uh, one point five million. You tell me when it grows even a dollar. And we look down that list, and for most of those policies that people are have in force, it's 35, maybe 40 years before that policy ever gets to this MEC limit. Well, what's that telling you? Well, it's telling you that it takes that much time before you ever get that policy to perform like the good stuff. We want to have the good stuff day one because guess what? We're not really interested in the death benefit. We're interested in what? We're interested in finding a place to park our money where we get all these benefits. And there's no better place than permanent life insurance. So there's our five-minute lesson on life insurance. And when we have this conversation with them in, in combination with our needs versus wants discussion, 
they can get their arms around this conversation very readily, and they begin to understand the difference of having a contract which allows them to get all the benefits that they desired and have a place to put that money where the money can continue to grow tax-deferred. So uh, very, very important conversation, and we're just going to ask the client now at this point, well, here's our dilemma. You've got a million dollars right now. To get the good stuff, it's $40,000 a premium, but you wanted $2 million of coverage. Well, and you only have 40000 Well, what we're going to have to do is we're going to go buy a million of the good stuff and a million term because you understand about term insurance that term insurance is a lost opportunity cost as well because we have to calculate not only the premium but the time value of those premiums over your lifetime, which get to be significant. So we would want to convert that term as rapidly and as quickly as we possibly can. But when you're buying a policy at this MEC limit, when you buy the good stuff, what's going to happen is the face amount is going to grow so fast as you make contributions that you're going to be amazed at how quickly we can get rid of the term insurance. So, But we want you to have... We want you to have all you can possibly have. We want you to have the maximum they'll sell you. And um, we want you to have an opportunity to put in as much as you possibly can. And the driving factor is not the death benefit. It's how much do we have to put in this particular vehicle because we have to park our money somewhere. And there's no better place than permanent life insurance. 